Hi, everyone. My name is Jonathan Fries, and you are listening to Season 7 of What the Flock. This season, our goal is to carefully approach some very serious and often polarizing topics. The issues we're going to focus on have and continue to cause so much damage, people seem unable to civilly discuss these topics. The episodes in this season will give you the tools you need to facilitate your ability to talk about these topics in a beneficial manner. I'm joined by my co-host, Joel Spokowski. How you doing, Joel? I'm wonderful, thank you. How are you, Jonathan? Well, I'm I'm, I'm very, 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 very excited. Yes, me too. Before we jump into the episode, I'm going to give some disclaimers. Love the disclaimers. All right. The seriousness of these issues often results in people not hearing both sides before judging the issue. With that said, we encourage you, dear listener, to be careful sharing anything from these episodes with other people without first encouraging them to hear the entire episode for themselves. Also, in addition to listening to the entire episode for yourself, we highly recommend listening to any previous episodes that are referenced during this episode. Agreed, agreed. Now my turn. Mm -hmm. These are all topics that have been debated at length. The reason they have and continue to be debated is because traditional debates do not work. Debates pit two sides against each other. Each side is concerned with only trying to prove their own point, often becoming overly emotional about the topic and even triggering. Instead of trying to learn something new and find out how they could be wrong, when it comes to these topics, people seem to want to root themselves deeper into what they already believe. Okay, back to my turn. Yes. I want to do that. The, we'll do that the whole episode. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we saw with the previous six seasons, Joel, that each issue has two perspectives that distract people from the ultimate answer. We called those sides the strict side and the loose side of the argument. Joel, could you give us an overview of the strict and loose sides, please? I'd be happy to. The strict perspective invites and initiates conflict on these topics. The side tends to be like a bully, using intimidation as a tactic to control people. They hold people to strict standards in which they rationalize away any need they would have to hold themselves to that same strict standard. These people become hypocrites, like the Pharisees, when they're confronted and respond by justifying why it's okay for them to hold others to a higher standard than they hold themselves to. The loose perspective avoids conflict and tension as much as possible. They don't like the discomfort of that feeling. The standards they hold themselves to are based on how they and others feel, which leaves them with no objective measures for what the moral answer is. This side tends to be an enabler removing any discomfort brought on by confrontation. These people show they don't actually care for others when they avoid confronting people who are in pain for their own benefit. Excellent. Thank you, Joel. So we either have bullying tendencies or enabling tendencies. The number one technique we will use throughout this season is to repeat back to the opposing side what they believe to their satisfaction before making my point. It is the only way to have a profitable interaction because it causes people to listen to the other side once they know they've been heard. Debating would 
actually be a benefit if seeking first to understand was the guiding principle that the debating mediators followed. We will focus on seeking first to understand. And with that said, all of our disclaimers given. Yes. The stage has been set for our series finale. Season series podcast finale. Christian community. <laughs> Wait <Yes>. a minute. <laughs> should Christian, I say it or should you say it? We're we're so that's fine. You I love it. I love it. I just jumped in and I said it. Yes. I couldn't Christian wait. Christian community. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, Joel. What is the strict side of this topic? The strict side is true Christians shouldn't associate with heathens. And if they do or participate in any other sin, they ought to be removed from the community. Okay. Let me repeat back to you the strict perspective. True Christians shouldn't associate with heathens, with with unbelievers, with anybody outside of Christians, essentially. Yeah. And if they do, or they participate in any other sin, then we should toss them, remove them from the community, should no longer be a part of the church. Great. Yeah. Do I understand you? Yes, you do. Thank you. Cool. Okay, what about the loose side? What's the loose side? The loose side, everyone ought to be in community with everyone. Okay, so let me repeat that back to you. Everyone in community with everyone. So this is regardless of beliefs. Talk about this a loose just, side, huh? Yeah, this is just everybody being everyone in community. With everyone, everyone with everyone. Got yeah. it. Okay, very, cool. very loose side, right? Do I understand? Yes, you do. Thank you. Thank you, Joel. Okay, so here's here I want to summarize the the damage. With the strict side, they say true Christians shouldn't associate it with heathens, un, with unbelievers, and if they do or participate in any other sin, they ought to be removed from the community. The loose side is everyone ought to be in community with everyone. So, Joel, it seems to me that this could be one of the most contentious arguments because I imagine both sides believe they have a lot of scripture to back up their very passionate perspective. Yes. And this is why we saved this episode for last. It brings in basically everything that we have covered. It is based on the doctrine we learned during our first five seasons and the process for how to interpret the Bible, which we learned from season six, the previous season. Awesome. Makes sense that there's a lot of attack going on. Yeah. This topic. Okay. So, so with the contrasting sides and we're going to look, we're going to kind of do a deep dive into each side's perspective and how they argue for their perspective or against the other side. Can you give us the argument for the strict side? Yeah, so if I'm on the strict side, what I would do is this. I'd quote 1 Thessalonians 5, 22 and 23, which says, Abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I would say, again, 
on the strict side for the strict side, this all appearance of evil. It says it in the Bible. It should be abstained from if you're a Christian. And this verse even says sanctify, which means to separate from profane things, to set apart, which would include people. Mm. Now, again, on the strict side, but against the loose side, against the side that says everyone should be in community with everyone, I would say this. Matthew 18, 17 says, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen and a publican. And I would commentate and say to the loose side person, this verse says to put the heathen out of community, which would imply Jesus's words, right? Yeah. Jesus's words, which would imply can't be in community with everybody. Hmm. And then on the strict side, a question I would ask the loose side. Do you disagree with the Apostle Paul when he wrote, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, no, not to eat. Hmm. That's from 1 Corinthians 5.11. Wow. Pretty solid argument there. Pretty solid argument. You're right. Okay. So how would you argue for the loose side? For the loose side, I'm on the loose side. I'm going to quote Matthew 5, 43 through 45. And I'm just going to, that's all I'm going to do. And I'm just going to say this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I, this is Jesus, people, but mm -hmm. I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Yeah. Compelling argument. Yeah. So far, all using the Bible as well, right? Mm -hmm. Now, on the loose side, against the strict, I would say something like this. You know, cutting off all interactions with a group who acts and believes differently than you is the definition of a cult. Now, so far, this is the only argument that did not directly reference the Bible, and it is quite an alarming perspective. Starting to see more and more how this can be a really contentious, quote, debate, right? Yes, using the cult word. Yeah. And now again, on the loose side, a question I would ask someone who is on the strict side is this. Well, do you disagree with the Apostle Paul when he says in the two verses before your question to me, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet, 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 not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. That's from 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. Remember, the question the strict side asked the loose side was from 1 Corinthians 5, 11. Hmm. Okay, so, again, this topic... Christian community speaks to how we interpret the Bible since we have both sides using verses, including verses that are next to each other in the same chapter of the Bible. 
one of the things we'll see as we move forward is, you know, the, the steps of interpretation. I think we spent more time and dissolved the contradictory interpretations of more versus just getting to that third step. That third step of interpretation was check the context, right? Right. We'll be doing that in this episode, but yeah, we can see so much of this topic comes down to the doctrine behind Christian community and also all these Bible verses. We need to know how to interpret the Bible the right way. So those are my arguments for and against both the strict and the loose sides. Great. Thanks, Joel. Now, what is the ultimate answer? The ultimate answer. Well, big picture, our answer, as with every episode, is leadership, grace, and love with an emphasis on a Paul's approach that we shared in the season seven supplementary episode. We need to know whether we are talking to a believer or an unbeliever. We should know that before we talk about these topics. We need to know whether we're talking to someone who is strong in the faith or weak in the faith. Again, we should know that before we start Mm. talking about these because Mm -hmm. we don't want to cause a believer to stumble and we want to reach the unbeliever for God. So one of the ways that we can embrace the leadership part of our ultimate answer is to seek to understand the other person's perspective. Now with this topic of Christian community, we can start with making sure we understand each other's definitions of the key words we're using. Christian, community, unity, peace, etc. With the grace and love parts of our big picture ultimate answer, ultimately, when interacting with either side, the person ought to take direction from God via grace in order to love that other person. Why? Because grace and love are key to avoiding enabling and judging the other person with the hopes of either winning or edifying them. So again, before even listening or having a conversation about Christian community or any of the topics in season seven, we'd recommend that you listen to the grace and love episodes, season two, episode 13 and season one, episode 15, respectively. Now, When it comes to this specific topic, I'd like to offer you a perspective or perspectives you may not have thought of. Now, the primary reason people are so confused by Jesus's and Paul's statements is they don't first determine if the verse speaks about a believer or quote what the Bible will say, brother, or an unbeliever or quote, not a brother. Nice. For example, let's look at the verses from Paul that we used earlier from 1 Corinthians 5 that both sides used as their question to the other side. So first, Paul says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. Okay, so here we say, we see that Paul said he did say not to associate with fornicators. However, he wasn't speaking about all fornicators. Otherwise, the point he makes is you wouldn't be able to interact with enough people to survive in this world. So which fornicators was Paul referring to? He said fornicators of this world. 
The key to determining which fornicators you can associate with is for him to name a specific group of fornicators you should not company with. The next verse explains, still 1 Corinthians 5, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or drunkard or extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. So here he defines what that group of fornicators you should not company with are. A Christian should not company with people that claim to be believers and also are fornicators. Now remember, fornicate means to commit idolatry. In other words, we've seen this in a lot of the putting away and divorce verses that we covered season six. Another way you can think of the word fornicator, fornicator is just an unbeliever. So another way of saying this is a Christian should not company with people that claim to be believers, but are really unbelievers. So what does keep company mean? It means to be mixed up together with, essentially not being able to tell the difference between you and the fornicator. It means to regularly hang out with them to the point that people think they are with you and like you in that you share their way of life. These people are in your community, not just interacting with your community. This brings up another main reason people are confused about this topic. They don't have a definition for community. One of the more simple definitions to come to, to, the word community simply means with unity. Check out episode from season four, episode 12 on unity to get more insight into that. Now, back to what should we do with people who claim to be believers who are fornicators? Paul said to confront them. And if they don't change, to put them out of the church or out of the community. So essentially, if someone says they're a believer, but they're really a fornicator, well, you take them at their word, you confront them like the Bible says to confront a believer, Mm -hmm. and their response to that is what's going to prove whether or not they're a believer or an unbeliever, right? Mm -hmm. When they prove they're an unbeliever, put them out of the community. So now let's look at a verse that was used that came from Jesus from Matthew 18. Now with commentary in within me reading this, it says, and if he, the believer who is a fornicator in this example, right? If he, that person shall neglect to hear them or shall neglect to be confronted, tell it unto the church, unto the community. But if he, the believer who is a fornicator, neglect to hear the church, or again, neglect to be confronted, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and publican. So Jesus is saying to send the one claiming to be a believer out of community. And Paul would say, so you can interact with that person Hmm. to win them back. This is the point of the supplemental episode that began this season. Our goal is love. Not confronting a believing brother in his sin is enabling them to lose their salvation and causing believers weak in the faith to possibly lose their salvation. Confront the believer. 
that is love, confront the believer. And if they don't confess and repent, then put them out. So they aren't a stumbling block to those weaker in the faith. And you can get their attention to win them back by continuing to interact with them. So you're enabling those weaker in the faith by leaving an unbeliever who claims to be a believer in the community. That person weaker in the faith is going to be confused about what's what standards they're supposed to be living sure. according to. Sure. So my encouragement here, check out episode 28 on confession and episode 29 on repentance. Nice. Again, the goal is love which means the final verse from the argument that was used is not what it appears. So Matthew 5, 43 through 45 says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So this sounds like we are being pleasant to the unbeliever who is an enemy. But actually, this is how you expose the enemy to judgment from God. We need to remember what we learned about forgiveness. So we covered three verses from Jesus in the forgiveness episode, season two, episode 10, that seem to contradict one another, but they don't when we account for whether Jesus is speaking about a believer or not. The previous verse is to love your enemy. Your enemy's not a believer. The verse about sending a believer out of community begins this way in Matthew 18. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Here, Jesus says to confront the believer and immediately forgive the unbeliever. This has to do with spiritual value. We don't want to take spiritual value from a brother, so we confront them now just like the Old Testament said, to punish the person in community now. We instantly forgive the unbeliever, so we gain spiritual value on them, and we allow, so we gain spiritual value from them, and we allow God to confront them. Now, finally, Jesus says in Luke 17, 3 and 4, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So notice we are commanded to confront the brother and only forgive if he repents so that no spiritual value is taken. So obviously this verse is assuming the brother, the believer, heard us, like the Matthew 18 process says, but doesn't agree. Because if they didn't hear us, then we would follow that Matthew 18 process to its conclusion, which would have proven he would as actually an unbeliever. Right. So here's a mini summary for this topic. When people define community the way the Bible does, then the Christian community 
ought to only include Christians, and the previous verses ought to be followed. If people define a community as including non-Christians, while it can still be a community, it's just not a Christian community. This is also true for people defining community as people you interact with superficially. However, defining any of this as Christian community can be a stumbling block to those weaker in the faith. The problem comes when people define community as the only people you are allowed to interact with, even superficially. Why? Because this leads to destructive cultish behavior. Now, again, that's the second time we've seen the word cult. So let's right. get into that. Cool. What is a cult? The definition of a cult is a relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. Now notice there's nothing in that definition that directly states a cult is bad. So we need to look at what we could call destructive cults. The main component of a destructive cult is they exhibit mind control, which is defined as a system that disrupts an individual's healthy identity development. Hmm. Now, the model for how destructive cults do this has the acronym BITE, B-I-T-E, easy way to remember this, for the four areas that they exhibit this mind control. So from this point forward, when I speak of cults, I'm speaking about these destructive cults that exhibit mind control and that work through these four areas that I'm now going to define for you. The B in the BITE acronym is behavior control. This is mainly done by controlling the person's environment, like having all members live together or keeping them overly busy to the point the people who are leading the cult schedule these people's days for them. Sleep deprivation is another technique used to control behavior. Extreme examples require cult members to get permission to speak to people outside the cult, including their own relatives. And finally, they require members to give all their possessions to the cult, keeping them dependent on the cult leader. The I in the BITE acronym is information control. This is done to rob people of the ability to make informed decisions. People are denied access to information not approved by the cult and especially from speaking critically about the cult. The cult may even screen the person's communication. Even when cult information is presented to the cult member, it can be compartmentalized so that the cult member doesn't have access to all the information, especially so that they can't question the cult leader's ability to not answer questions. The T in the BITE acronym stands for thought control. This is done to cause the member to stop thinking for themselves to the point the member loses their identity. An extreme form of thought control is thought stopping. I also think of the novel 1984 where they're limited in what their vocabulary is in order to control their thought, their thinking. Here, members are told to stop themselves from thinking bad thoughts and instead think only good and pure thoughts. 
And then the E in the BITE acronym, emotional control. This is done to cause the member to feel wonderful when they are obedient and scared when they make a mistake or disobey. So really what's happening with the emotional control is fear is what is binding these groups together. Now, big step back. If you go back all the way to the first episode of season one, what we're hoping you can see is how everything we have done shows how the strict side has destructive cult tendencies. It wants to say, the strict side, that smoking, swearing, drinking, etc. are absolutely wrong regardless of the context. And everyone who does those things ought to feel guilty and be in fear they are losing their salvation. When the people of the strict perspective are asked questions, they don't answer them directly, but instead appeal to some special insight they have that they can't logically explain. Ultimately, they want ultimately they want you to lose your identity, your uniqueness, and for you to conform to a set of behaviors like everybody else. Jeez. Yep. Wow, that's cool. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, great perspective. It's a cool explanation. Yeah, but it's, sure. it's also heavy because of mm-hmm. how prevalent we see this. I know. In, uh, yeah. In the church today. Now, on the other hand, the loose side makes the error of avoiding anything that is a limitation. Remember, everyone in community with everyone. I don't know if it gets more clear than that. Mm-hmm. And they're justifying that they don't want to hurt others like destructive cults do. Yet, They are hurting others and themselves by enabling people away from actually being able to help people according to what is written in the Bible. Now, destructive cults work through isolation, engulfment, and fear. Isolation is the removal of all influence other than the destructive cult. The Bible says the opposite. To be in the world but not of the world. Why? So we can win others. Nice. Engulfment is becoming dependent on the destructive cult for your sense of self and identity. The Bible says the opposite. The Bible says to let no man rule over you and to know who God uniquely created you to be. Fear is an unpleasant emotion in response to danger. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Awesome. Now, even when it comes to Christian community, the Bible does not say we have to be in fellowship with everyone in our community. However, we ought to be in fellowship through everyone in our community. Check out season three, episode five on fellowship. The analogy that clears up this point is the human body. My toe is not in direct fellowship with my eye. However, my toe is in fellowship with my eye through the rest of the connected parts of my body. Now, if there's a group in my community that isn't in fellowship with everybody else through the body, then that group of people is an island. And the analogy with respect to the body is that group is cancer. Right. 
Now, we aren't supposed to be independent, which is really what the loose side is striving for. We aren't supposed to be dependent, which is what the strict side is really enforcing. We are supposed to be interdependent, like the human body. Unique parts that only depend on people or parts who also depend on them. Mm-hmm. Finally, people will ask how much they ought to interact with someone in order to get them saved. The question that I ask that really dissolves this, because I get it, like I'm worried about hanging out with all these unbelievers, especially you guys teach that our thought process syncs up, all this right. stuff. How much is it? How much is okay for me to interact with people outside the community? I do want to witness, but I also don't want to fall. So the question I ask that really dissolves this is, are you affecting them or are they affecting you? Or in other words, are you becoming more like them or are they becoming more like you? Now, this is especially true when it comes to parents trying to help their kids with their interactions. Now, if you only want your kids interacting with kids who are better than your kids, what if the other parents are also like you? Hmm. Could be creating cancerous cells within the body of these communities of kids, right? What should happen is you and your kids should interact with people better than you so you can grow and people who need help that you are strong enough to help. Now, when it comes to people needing help, if you begin to become more like them, then you aren't strong enough to help that person. And that's okay. You could recognize that and make an adjustment. If you only want to interact with people who are worse than you and avoid people who are better than you, that could be the first step to becoming or even being a destructive cult leader. Nice. Oh, man. What a banger. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Okay, I'm going to repeat back your ultimate answer, Joel, to your satisfaction. Might not hit everything that you said, but spirit of it. I want to hit. I want. I want to make sure that you you understand it. Yeah. Let me uh, sidebar here. Yeah, bud. Again, you know that that's the the number one technique we're using throughout this season is we repeat back one another's perspectives. The point we've seen in other episodes, and I want to emphasize now, is that doesn't necessarily mean. You have to repeat it back word for word. The point is to understand the other person. So, Jonathan, if you want to say these main points I made without having to just quote everything I just said, that would also be in line with this number one technique of hearing someone. So, yeah, please feel free to use your own words. That's cool. Because it is. It's it's you. Our goal is to hear someone to their satisfaction. Yes. So we are really taking account into the uniqueness of the individual and when they feel heard. Right, right. So I know, you know, for you, Joel, that I can repeat back to you to your satisfaction. And it would sometimes even be more helpful if I use my own words to repeat back to you what you said. Yeah. Because I know for you, Joel, it is like me using my understanding to understand what you're saying. Yeah, it would I it, at it would times be me would feel like more using, settled. Right. You like using an analogy 
to reference what it is. Yeah. It's like this and using that and repeating that back to you. And you're Which like, yes, you'd only you be able to do that if you really understood what I said. Cool. Okay. So ultimately, when interacting with either side, the person ought to lead the other person by taking direction from God via grace in order to love them. This is really the heart of season seven right here. And grace and love are the keys to avoiding enabling and the key to avoiding judging the other person with the hopes of winning them. So right there, that's that's our goal from C- for season seven. We want to understand people. We want to take take direction from God. We want to love them. And we're trying to to be leaders, not to prove someone wrong in an argument so that we, quote, win the argument. We're trying to help win the other person to Jesus. We're trying to to help them, if they are a believer, to grow closer to Jesus. And if they're an unbeliever, to be drawn to Jesus, to go, oh, I, I would like more of this. Yeah, yeah. So now approaching the Christian community topic, we need to first start with the definition of what Christian community is. And when people define Christian community the way the Bible does, then the Christian community ought to only include Christians and the previous verses regarding how to deal with conflict ought to be followed. Yeah. So here we're talking about the Matthew 18 process, Yep. right? Where it's, we don't want people who are saying they're Christians who are not living according to that, you know, causing the community to suffer because this is all about people who are weaker in the faith. Right. We don't yeah. want to be a stumbling block. No. So if people define a community as including non-Christians, then it still can be a community. That's fine. That's your definition of community, you know? It's just not Christian community because that Christian community is like we talk about a conjunctive, right? Community is the freedom. Christian's the limitation. Nice. Now, this is also true for people defining community as people you interact with superficially. So, however, defining any of this as Christian community can be a stumbling block to those weaker in the faith. Because, again, there's no limitation. Oh, we just hang out with each other. And we call ourselves Christians. This is a Christian. No, 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 no. There needs to be some sort of standard and limitation if you are going to live according to and within a Christian community. Right. Yeah. Not that these are the, the, the laws or the limitations that men are putting on to other people. This is what Jesus is defining as community. Right. Right. He's the one that is giving us those measures and those instructions in terms of what that looks like. So the problem comes when people define community as the only people you're allowed to interact with, even superficially. Yeah. I would say especially superficially because then this leads to destructive cultish behavior. Now we're starting to, you know, this, this cult or this, you know, these people exhibiting cultish behavior are starting to manage who you are interacting with. So a question I should ask myself when interacting with others is, who's becoming more like who? 
am I becoming, if I'm interacting with unbelievers, are they becoming more like me? Or if I'm interacting with unbelievers, am I becoming more like them? And I should interact with people better than me so I grow and people who need help that I'm strong enough to help. So I ought to be interacting. Essentially, what you're saying there is I should be interacting with everybody with this limitation in mind. Interact with people who are healthier than you to become healthier. Yeah. Or people who are more spiritually mature than you to become more spiritually mature. And people who need help, I ought to strive to interact with them only if I can help them grow. If they're going to drag me down, then that might not be the best use of my time. And I should hopefully grow more so that I can interact with those people to help them. But the whole goal is to have these people above who are more mature that you can look up to and they can help you grow and people who you can help and help them grow who are, you know, less spiritually mature than you. But like I was saying, Christian community is a conjunctive. It's a community that is unified over a cause. A Christian community is when that cause of unity is Christianity. So this episode showed us further proof that the principle guiding all seven seasons with what the flock is love. Love is a contextless principle, meaning there isn't a situation that exists that wouldn't be better if love was the guiding principle. So I can always love more. Yeah. With anyone, with everyone, I can always be focusing on loving more. So every situation would be better if love was the guiding principle. Yeah. However, love looks different depending on who you are interacting with. It are you interacting with someone who's strong in the faith, someone who's weak in the faith, someone who is an unbeliever, someone who's questioning what they believe? This is all unique. Yeah. Joel, is that to your satisfaction? It sure is. Thank you. I like the, you know, Christian community conjunctive explanation is real simple and easy to remember. And that's really what it, a lot of it come down, comes down to. So, well, since this is our season finale and series finale, which kind of means podcast finale, should we have a drink to celebrate? Oh, well, I, I don't know. Would that be okay? I don't know. Maybe we should listen to the drinking episode, season one, episode one, to find out. Thank you, Joel. This has been What the Flock. If you'd like a deeper study of this topic and how to deal with people who either bully or enable regarding this topic, listen to the Music of Life Church podcast companion episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, if you've been hurt by church, you're not alone. We're here for you.